Welcome to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with Eva Medelec. If you're struggling to stay ahead of your daily life challenges, you will want to listen close as Eva and her guests will help you address the most important priorities first. Now, here's your host, Eva Medelec. Hello, everyone. I'm Eva Medelec, and welcome to today's show. I have a very special guest today, Dr. Tracy Marks, and she is a general and forensic psychiatrist of over 20 years with over 1 million YouTube followers. Her mission is to increase mental health awareness by understanding, by educating people on psychiatric disorders, mental well-being, and self-improvement. She maintains a general psychiatry clinical practice focusing on mood disorders, anxiety disorders, and burnout. And Dr. Marks has been sought after by CNN and HLN for forensic and general psychiatric commentary. So, you know, you're talking about all the things that... um, really piqued my curiosity, Dr. Mark. So welcome to today's show. I'm really excited for our conversation today. Yes, me too. I'm looking forward to it. So tell us a little bit about you, like who you are as a person, because your credentials are amazing. And I love anything forensic. You know, I I loved that in high school. I thought I would end up in forensics, (laughs) but um, I didn't end up cleaning teeth for a living. But um, (laughs) tell us a little bit about you as a person. Sure. So me as a person, I am, you know, when you work a lot, sometimes it's easy to forget who you are as a person. So thanks for asking that. Um, I grew up I would say I'm someone who um, has always been creative and I grew up as a ballerina uh, up until like my high school years and it wasn't cool anymore. So I didn't want to do it. Um, I played piano and clarinet. I twirled a baton. I was on the dance core in high school. So I was very um, active and ambitious that way. Um, I've always been curious. So that curiosity and I guess soft spot for people and their feelings is what got me in psychiatry. Um, I initially was going to be an engineer. Um, I went to school for and majored in engineering because I didn't like to read. So I figured I'm good in math, so I'll pick a math specialty. So um Part of the way through that, I realized I'd made a mistake and I liked working with people more. And I went to medical school after I graduated college. So I kind of did a post back year so that I could go to medical school. Awesome. And so what do you do now for fun? What do I do for fun? I am in a book club and um, there's nine of us and we have been meeting every month. We call ourselves Books and Bubbles. Uh, you can let Ooh, your imagination. <laughs> you can <laughs> you can let your imagination uh, figure out what the bubbles are for. Um, but yes, that is champagne most of the time. And we've been meeting together over twenty years, so we're also really good friends. Um, I like hanging out with friends. I have other good friends as well, and watching movies and things. So nothing really huge, like oh, I ski or you know go to Europe. Uh, it's nothing exotic, just hanging out. I'm a people person, so I like hanging out with people I enjoy being around. So speaking of people, 
in general, you chose a profession that really educates people on psychiatric disorders and mental well-being. Tell us a little bit about that journey and um, how you came to to specialize, like get, get us kind of um, where you were and where you are today and who you help and the problems you solve. Sure. Yeah. So when I went to medical school, I, I, I don't think I I got interested in internal medicine somewhere along the line. I didn't start knowing that's what I wanted to do, but somewhere along the line, I had decided I was going to be an internist. Uh, So kind of general medicine for adults. And I had no interest in psychiatry because I didn't grow up exposed to anyone who had ever been to a psychiatrist. And in, in my kind of my environment, um, I, it wasn't, if you had a problem, you don't go talk to a stranger, you talk to somebody who knows you kind of, that was the mindset I had. So psychiatry was nowhere on my radar. And so I overlooked it or I, I deferred the rotation, which was a required rotation in my third year of medical school to my fourth year. Cause again, I wasn't going to do it. So I was just going to get it over with in my fourth year applied for internal medicine residency. And then when I got into my fourth year, and did the rotation, it was a complete change from what I thought it was what I had imagined it to be. And through the experience of the of the rotation, I realized that I got a whole lot more gratification out of helping people with their emotional pain than tweaking medicines for blood pressure or, you know, that just regular physical management. So I changed my mind essentially after the fact. I went ahead and I matched um, in medicine, and that just means for for medicine and getting a residency, it's like a draft program. Mm-hmm. You put your name in a hat, and the the hospitals pick you, and you find out. Everybody finds out the same day where they're going to go for residency. Um, so I had chosen medicine, internal medicine in New York City, and that's what I thought I was going to do. And I just said I'll do psychiatry in my second year of residency. Um, I had the opportunity, though, to switch over to the psychiatry roster before my residency started. So that's how I started in in residency. And it actually turned out to be a wonderful thing, experience for me doing my residency in New York City, where that was very psychoanalytically informed. Um, You know, there it's just commonplace for anybody to just have a therapist. (laughs) So here I was from a background of who in the world sees a therapist and what for to, if you don't have a therapist, something's wrong with you. You know, it's interesting. You should say that. Cause I, I, you know, as a high performance life coach, I always thought who needs a coach for their life? Like what's, (laughs) what's wrong with you that you actually don't know how to live, so to speak. So tell me a little bit more about, about that, that upgrade that upbringing of, you know, we don't talk about our problems to strangers. Where did you grow up? And was that a cultural thing, a um, just in your family? I mean, there are certain cultures who, you know, um, don't like to talk about mental and emotional health and struggles. And they really do you know, the stigma, you know, the stigma, I think, is starting to be broken down a little bit. But what did your background have that um, 
you know, had you think that, you know, we just talk amongst ourselves about our problems. We don't share it with strangers. Yeah. So I grew up in Florida, which isn't the deep South, even though it is deeply South uh, geographically, but still it had more of a Southern mentality. I, you know, I, I, okay, I don't want to blame the South, but I'm from the South. I grew up in an environment. um, I'm African-American. I do think the culture around me at the time was such that uh, um, you handle problems within your family or friends. And yes, you don't talk about them with strangers. And it's not even um, acceptable to even admit that you've got a serious problem. And problems, mental problems are, are personal failings and not something that uh, should get medical attention. So you just need to get your act together kind of thing. Um, so I, when I changed my mind to go into um, psychiatry, I remember at my graduation from medical school, I had family come in town and we went to dinner afterwards. And I had to make this, an, I, I didn't have to, but I made this announcement saying, by the way, everyone, I'm not going to be doing internal medicine. I'm going to be doing um, psychiatry. And it was just silence at the table, like, huh? <laughs> you could hear crickets. And um, because it was like, why would you make that decision? And not only that, when I was in medical school, one of my internal medicine mentors said to me when I told her that I was going to switch over to psychiatry, she was like, but you're so smart. What a waste. And interesting. that was more insulting, actually. Wow. (laughs) That is interesting that our mental health is so disregarded that people think someone who specializes in helping people deal with our mental well-being is a waste. It is. It really is. And in some ways with psychiatry, understanding how people think and how that applies to the uh, behavior and situations and, and whatnot, and combining that with, so combining mind and body medicine is incredibly intellectual. You know, it's more than memorizing anatomy and, you know, making and writing prescriptions. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot to it. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I do think uh, we've come a long way. This was 20 plus years ago. So we've come a long way in general, not only my family, they came around eventually, but society as a whole, as far as accepting mental health as a, an, an important and central part of your overall health. Yes, I've noticed that as well. Why do you think we are more accepting of taking care of our mental health and also recognizing when we need support around our mental wellness? I think it's it's multifactorial. So my my kind of my knee jerk is social media and um, more exposure to even talking about this out loud. I mean, hey, Google or the internet became a, a, a force or a thing in the early 2000s. So before that, you know, you got to go to the library and look something up in encyclopedias. 
But um, this, the younger generation, they're growing up on TikTok and Instagram and places where people are talking about this openly. So there's more acceptance, general acceptance of this person has this problem and it's okay for, I'm not alone anymore. You know, it's interesting you use those social platforms to um, use as an example of awareness of, you know, uh, of mental health issues and anxiety when those very platforms <laughs> I've noticed are contributing to mm-hmm. our anxiety, stress, and mental health issues because of the, well, various reasons, but just because of how social media has us thinking we should be, should show up, should look, should act, you know, it shoulds all over us, which creates a, high, a new level of anxiety. So what do you find? I'm just curious, what are you finding are the main issues now with our mental health as compared to 20 years ago? Well, I will say the the social media aspect of this is a double-edged sword. And on the one hand, it's it's increased awareness, help people feel more connected in some ways and not so alone. On the other hand, yes, it could be super depressing if you to spend too much time on Instagram or Facebook, think is watching people's highlight reels and comparing how different their lives are from or how you think their lives are to how yours is. Um, And so, you know, I think as I, as I look back over 20 years and the kinds of things that people talked about, um, a lot of the things have remained the same as far as relationship problems. I will say one thing that I hear more now that I didn't hear 20 years ago is, you know, this person's a narcissist and I'm being gaslit and all of this stuff. And that actually is one of my uh, pet peeve things of everyone. Not everyone is a narcissist. Okay. Not all problems are narcissism based, but, um, but that kind of social media uh, derived talk and, and things that we now talk about that we didn't talk about before um, I think has kind of made people's vocabulary change over the years. Absolutely. And, and narcissistic behavior is, is the hot topic du jour, if you will. And everybody's been a victim of it, of gaslighting, bypassing, um, narcissistic behavior. You know, there are some people that think there's a little bit of narcissist in all of us. But yeah, there are degrees of self-absorption, I'm sure, that we've all experienced. It's funny when you talked about um, the social media, there was a study done by I am um, Inc. magazine a few years ago, I forget the exact year, and I'm probably going to botch it a little bit, but they did a Twitter poll um, that gave them the result that most people who, the people who are posting the happiest photos on Twitter and, you know, the happy smiley vacations and relationships and all of those are the ones who are the most depressed and possibly suicidal. They did some mm-hmm. kind of study. I used to have the statistic down, but it, you just brought that to mind that most of what we see on social media is not real and authentic. And when you know we see somebody posting, you know, their happy relationship, and you, you see it a lot with celebrities for sure. 
you know, they do a birthday tweet or post to the love of their life and how you've stood by me all the years. And then the next week, you know, one of them is filed for divorce. And it's like, wait, what? Weren't y'all just happy last week? Like what happened between now and then? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Then, you know, there's, you know, I call it, there's a Facebook and there's your fake book, (laughs) if you will, you know, and it's, Mm -hmm. it's really, it's hard for young people, I would imagine, to be able to navigate that. And, and it's hard, hard for, you know, more mature people as well, I would imagine, because we, you know, I personally have friends that that post all of this beautiful, happy vacation stuff and, you know, huggy, lovey-dovey. And then, you know, over a glass of wine, you know, at a bar and we're talking and it's just like, you know, yeah, things are not good. Oh, why are you choosing to show the world something? I'd rather not hear from you at all than than have this kind of fake life out there. It's confusing to me, you know, Mm because I always reach out to people like, it looks like your life is great. Congratulations. I'm so happy for you. And then they tell me the real deal. Well, Mm -hmm. anyway, I think this is a good time for us to take a little break um, because when we come back, I want to talk about... How do we know if we're experiencing anxiety or it's something else? Because often you'll hear people say, I'm just stressed. I have too much on my plate. I'm overwhelmed. And I know, correct me if I'm wrong, anxiety is like a medical condition, right? Or is if it- it's a disorder, not all anxiety is a disorder. Oh, oh, okay. So we get to find out the different mm-hmm. anxieties of disorder or not. Oh, I'm I come back. Let's let's hear about that. We'll be right back after this short message. What's stopping you from having more money, time, energy, and fun? Learn how to break through where you stop so that you can have greater success, better health, and happier relationships. Take this free quiz to identify what's stopping your success and learn exactly what you can do about it. www.evamedelec.com slash quiz. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Having higher levels of energy is something you choose and condition, not something you have. Exhaustion has been a challenge for over two years now. This is the year you can choose to change. Here are five things you can start doing today to reverse the burnout, stress, and overwhelm that is keeping you from living a life full of good health and happy relationships. www.evamedelec.com slash reverse burnout. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You are listening to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with host Eva Medelec. Have a question for Eva or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5795. That's 866-472-5795. Now back to the show. Here again is Eva Medelec. 
Welcome back, everyone. I am here with Dr. Tracy Marks, and we are talking about anxiety. Now, Dr. Marks, there's so many people are, I think, becoming aware of anxiety in their lives. Like you spoke before, um, you know, the anxiety caused by being in a narcissistic or abusive relationship, feeling gaslit, um, feeling stressed, overwhelmed, exhausted, all of the different things. What are the different types of anxiety that people can experience? And when is it a medical condition or something else? Okay. So the first thing to remember or realize is that anxiety is a normal reaction or emotion. We are hardwired to fear threats and react to them. So if I am sitting in my backyard and I see a bear come into the yard, um, my mind will tell me, be afraid and run. And that's normal. What's not normal is to have that same amount of fearfulness, maybe even having my heart racing, feeling like I'm going to throw up when I just woke up in the morning after supposedly getting a good night's rest. So some people can have the, the emotions or the feelings that can come with anxiety um, that come at times that where there is no apparent threat or or obvious threat in front of them. Um, so getting back to the issue of disorder versus not disorder. So we're, we're, we're wired to have a response to a stressor and feel anxious if it's appropriate to feel anxious. Like let's say it's something that we fear when it comes to disorders, what kind of determines that is the, the intensity of the emotion, the duration of it, and whether it interferes with your day-to-day -day functioning. So let's say post-pandemic, if we're really post, I'm not even sure if we're post, but okay, pandemic times and war and all of these things that are going on, we all probably feel more on edge at times. But can you? are you distracted to where um, you can still do your work? Can I still enjoy my evening despite having all of these things going in the background? If that's the case, then I have situational anxious responses and I don't have something that's overwhelming me and keeping me from getting my work done, um, sleeping, um, you know, functioning just in general. So when these feelings of fear or even physical things like um, increased heart rate, having trouble eating or keeping food down, things like that. When those things persist and start causing problems for you, that's a clue that maybe you should look at either trying to get professional help or some interventions for self-help. What would you categorize excessive worrying as? <laughs> uh, I realize, so, you know, I'm asking a little selfishly, I'm not excessively worried, but I noticed something in my 90-year-old dad that he just worries about stuff, you know, that's already been set. This is going to happen, you know, at this date at this time. And then unless he gets 50 confirmations that it's going to happen at that time, he will worry you to death. And then I noticed, you know, 
one of my daughters growing up, she was just a worrier. Well, what if this happens? And what if this happens? And what if they don't show up? I know it's, you know, it's not a medical condition, but there's some people who worry to the point where it does impact, you know, how much they can enjoy life and function. Yes. And we do call it generalized anxiety disorder. So generalized, the, the key feature of generalized anxiety disorder, which is one of several anxiety disorders, is excessive worrying. What would be excessive? Uh, probably persisting in feeling fearful about anticipating something despite reassurances. So mm, um, I am afraid that I'm going to lose my job. So no matter, and why? Don't know. I just kind of wake up thinking this every day. There's no one, there's no one's told me that I might lose my job. I'm doing a great job, et cetera, et cetera. Um, versus we've been told that the, that there's going to be cutbacks. At least half the workforce is going to leave and it's going to happen over the next three months. That's a horrible thing to do to people, but over the next three months, a bunch of y'all are going to get fired. And now you've got to spend the next three months worrying every single day, is it going to be you? That's an example of, well, that's a stressor that you should expect to have some kind of response and worry. So, you know, it, it really kind of boils down to, um, is there a reason? Is there something that, sh that generates this worry? And are you able to make yourself not worry about it to go do something else and be reassured if given confirmation that it's not going to happen? Um, or is it something that no matter what people say, you still just kind of need 50 to hear 50 more times. It's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I get that. You know, some people have things that happen that happened to them in the past that maybe, you know, uh, there was a distrust or uh, an infidelity, if you will. You know, you experience that a lot in relationships, you know, first husband cheated or whatever. And, you know, how do I know this is not going to happen again with my second marriage or this relationship? And, you know, a lot of our past I see in some people, it's hard for them to leave behind it just because it happened once or back then, or your mom did it or your dad did it or whatever, does not necessarily mean it's going to happen in this situation. Is that considered anxiety as well? So it could be considered having an anxious temperament. And I talk about this oh, in my book mm -hmm. uh, called, Why Am I So Anxious? Um, and as far as looking at different reasons people can have anxiety or feel anxious. So a person with an anxious temperament may have the characteristic of fearing uncertainty. So we can all feel unsettled by not knowing what the end of the story is going to be or what's going to happen. But there are some people who can accept that uncertainty and keep moving forward and hope for the best. And there are those who cannot tolerate the uncertainty. So they worry about it. They do things to try and control their circumstances so that there's very little room for error or the unknown. And some of the things that they do to control messes them up even further. You know, they step on their own feet trying to over control things. So would that person necessarily have a disorder? Maybe not. They may be, it may be the kind of thing that kind of waxes and wanes and um, 
is bad sometimes and other times not that bad. It just kind of runs in the background, worrying about this, worrying about that, but they're not necessarily being controlled or dominated by those worries. Got it. That that was very eye-opening to me because, you know, it just brought into mind something my dad had said to me, well, I just need to be sure. I have to be sure. Like, what more do you need to be sure? You know, (laughs) we've got everything set. Like, what else do you need? Well, I don't know. (laughs) I've heard that too. I've got an elderly mother. And one thing I will say though, about as people get older, Everything about their life becomes uncertain. And so memory difficulties can play into it as well. Like I've told you 50 times, but they don't remember 50. They just remember two times that you said something and it just feels better to hear it again. Yeah, Um, they need that constant reassurance, especially with the the memory difficulties. Yeah, I get Mm -hmm. that. Mm Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. And there is a lot of uncertainty in their lives. I mean, people are there their friends are dying, you know, it's just so many, so many changes, you know, I can imagine, but, you know, it's funny when I saw it in my dad at this, this stage in his life, I also recognized some of my tendencies and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, that's where I get it from. <laughs> <laughs> and it could get worse. So I need that's to get right. a handle of it now. So um, what can we do? You know, when we, first of all, how do we know within ourselves? And, and I imagine this might be in your, your book of when we have, you know, anxiety as maybe a medical condition or some, just have some anxious tendencies. How can we decipher that within ourselves or with some of the people that we love? So I would probably start with um, how bad is it, whatever it is that you're experiencing How bad is it and how much of a problem is it causing for you? So usually the people who um, end up getting professional help, they they do that because things aren't working for them, that maybe they're having uh, problems with their relationships because of their behavior that they still may not recognize as anxiety because also anxiety can manifest as irritability, snapping at people, bad um bad coping mechanisms like drinking too much, um, someone who is um, who can appear to be shy or unable to make decisions, that could be based on anxiety. They have a lot of insecurities and just can't like, like make it happen because they're so worried that they're going to mess up or they're going to be judged and things like that. So um, when you're when your anxiety causes these kind of functional problems for you, um, it's it's hard to get around seeing a professional. However, things like uh, I mean, some of the the tools that I talk about in the book are um, things related. I, I divide them up into body tools, mind tools, and behavior tools. And what works for one person may not work for the next person. So that's the advantage of having lots of things at your disposal. Um, The mind tools tend to work best for worrying type anxiety or anxiety that occurs mostly in your head. So worrying about things, having um, what we call distorted thoughts, um, making uh, catastrophizing, 
Um, I give the example in the book of um, going to the airport. And one of the things that makes me anxious is travel. I'd like to think I'm well-traveled, but it's stressful for me. And so I worry about getting to the airport and not having my, my ID or, you know, missing something and things like that. Um, and my husband will, uh, tends to automatically assume the worst case scenario and then start talking about it. So, oh, I know we're not going to find a parking space. We're going to miss our flight and we're going to blah, 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 and all this stuff. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> which, and so, um, catastrophizing is an example of, um, distorted, a distorted thinking style or pattern that can lead to a lot of anxiety and, um, working through, um, recognizing, uh, these distorted patterns and challenging them is one thing someone could do on their own to kind of help um, the way that they respond to life in the future. So one thing about self, and I'll, this will be my last point on this. One thing about self-help tools is they really do work better in the long-term for long-term management than say medication, even though medication is great and I prescribe a lot of it. Where does panic attacks uh, fall in the realm of anxiety? Yeah, so I, I, ne I never got around to that. The main or the most common anxiety disorders are the most common one is a uh, specific phobia. So things like um, fear of spiders, fear of heights, agoraphobia is one such type phobia where people um, fear being out somewhere and it can go along with panic disorder and having a panic attack or an attack of anxiety and not being able to have an escape. So what it what does it do for them? It keeps them bound, like housebound or not wanting to go places. It really limits their mobility. Panic disorder is another type of anxiety disorder where you predominantly have these attacks of anxiety that's usually in physical form. So like racing heart, trouble breathing, maybe even things like um, <laughs> losing bladder control. I mean, it can get that bad, throwing up. And so you can imagine someone who has that kind of physical distress could get to the point where they're like, I don't want to go anywhere because I don't want to embarrass myself in front of people. Social anxiety disorder is another very common um, anxiety disorder that can affect not only your ability to interact with people, that's the social part, but it's also called performance anxiety. So you may not want to speak up in a meeting. You may not want to like express your opinion in front of people. And that can really get in the way of your interfacing with people or like, you know, requirements of your job. If you've got to present something and you're like really afraid of the judgment. Does that trace back to uh, an earlier life experience that we may have had to trigger that level of anxiety? So it can, it can start with um, someone having like an anxious temperament, but also it can, it can just, it can just appear like it doesn't always have to be like the result of childhood trauma or neglect or something like that, that makes you just not feel good about yourself. Mm -hmm. 
like um, an embarrassment on stage or something. So you'll never get up and speak again, or it doesn't always have to be that it can just be something that develops o- over time is what I'm hearing you say. Correct. Very much so. Interesting. Interesting. Wow. This has been fascinating for me. I can't wait to get a copy of your book and give it to some people that I think need it, <laughs> if you will. And um yeah, let's, uh, yeah, this is a good spot. Let's take another little break because when we come back, um, I really want to talk about how you and others in your profession make a diagnostic determination of the anxieties and, you know, go a little bit further into some of the not only self-treatment modalities, but other modalities that you mentioned, you know, you prescribe medication. When do we know that medication is the the right option for us? And are there different forms that, you know, because people get worried about being addicted to medication. What, what is it going to do, especially a lot of the anxiety medications? What is it going to do to our libido? You know, will we gain weight with it? Will we blow up? You know, what will our skin look like? You, you worry about not only the, the benefits, but the side effects of, of being on medication and how long do I have to be on it and all, and all of that. So um, let's talk about that when we come back for break. So okay. stay with us, guys. Having higher levels of energy is something you choose and condition, not something you have. Exhaustion has been a challenge for over two years now. This is the year you can choose to change. Here are five things you can start doing today to reverse the burnout, stress, and overwhelm that is keeping you from living a life full of good health and happy relationships. www.evamedelec.com slash reverse burnout. If you're an influencer, you don't follow the trends, you set them. Voice America influencers are involved in creating change in personal and professional lives, collaborating and driving value to make our lives better. We have world-renowned thought leaders, speakers, authors, entrepreneurs, artists, and some of the most influential voices today. Listen in today to what they have to say. Engage in the conversation. The Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. Answer the call. What's stopping you from having more money, time, energy, and fun? Learn how to break through where you stop so that you can have greater success, better health, and happier relationships. Take this free quiz to identify what's stopping your success and learn exactly what you can do about it. www.evamedelec.com slash quiz. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with host Eva Medelec. Have a question for Eva or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5795. That's 866-472-5795. Now back to the show. Here again is Eva Medelec. All right, everyone. Welcome back. We are having a really interesting, for me anyway, powerful discussion with Dr. Tracy Marks about anxiety and all the different types of anxiety. And and Dr. Marks, I'm really curious, you know, we were talking a little bit uh, on the break about um, many things. (laughs) And one of them was just, you know, when we notice someone in trouble, 
and we try to get them help, how sometimes the privacy laws get in the way. You know, what, you know, before we get into diagnostic, diagnosing anxiety, but how do people get around, you know, maybe someone in their life or in their family who they notice struggling, see struggling, and want to get them help before any self-harm or harm to others happen? How do we navigate those waters? Yeah, it's really tough because um, the laws, the HIPAA, as people, as it's called, uh, is there to protect you from um, losing your job or just having um, all of your private information made public to everyone else in a way that shames you or or hurts you. Okay, got it. That that's really important. Sometimes it gets in the way of just regular treatment in the situation where um, a family member notices something and they want to get through to the doctor to tell them, because I don't know if you're really being honest with the doctor about this, that, and the other. And the doctor can't, I've gotten phone calls and someone's like, I can't believe you haven't called me because this is really what's going on. Like I, because I can't just call you, this is an adult and their stuff is private. But, you know, the short answer, I don't want to get too long into my frustrations about it, but <laughs> the short answer is, is that if you have a family member, a, a, someone you care about, and you notice um, that they seem to be really going downhill, you have some concerns, and you're not sure what they're telling their doctor, um, I would suggest that you either give the doctor a call or write a note and just get the information to the doctor because the doctor can receive information, but they cannot give you feedback on their treatment of the person. Um, and so I've, I've found it very helpful sometimes to get kind of some sideways information from someone. And sometimes the, the patient themselves, they don't have the same observation of themselves. So sometimes that information is very helpful. Now, one thing yeah. I will say, you can't read do, the label if you're inside the jar. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's great. I love that. I'm going to use that one. Yeah, but I yes, stole that from right. my coach. But um, yeah, and it's true. If you're inside the box, you can't see what other people are seeing. That's that right. You're showing them, you know, what, what the label is. So um, now that's very helpful information to know that doctors are able to receive information, even though they can't share what's been shared with them privately. Um, right. Yeah. That, I will that's say, a good one to know. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't do though. Um, let me tell you all this stuff, but don't tell them I, I called because then that use that information is not very helpful. I can't just say, well, a little birdie told me this, that, and the other, and I can't just start talking about all the stuff I heard and not say where it came from. So then that, you know, now it puts the doctor in a position of they've got this inside information, but it, they're supposed to act like they don't know it. That doesn't ah, work. Got it. Got that it. So work. yeah, you've got to be willing to say, yes, you know, your mom, your sister, you know, your child came to us that you are experiencing X, Y, and Z. And mm -hmm. it concerns me. Let's talk about it, if you will, so to speak. Correct. Mm -hmm. So how do we determine, you know, diagnostically, this is what we wanted to talk about, about how, how we diagnose the, the different types of anxiety, how severe these anxieties are, like what are the diagnostic tools that you use? Yeah, so it is important. I, I do 
on my YouTube channel, I try and educate people about different disorders just so they know, but it's not so that you can diagnose yourself. And I, I just <laughs> want to put that out there. Wait a minute. Dr. Google diagnoses me all <laughs> the time. A lot of times I'm right. I'm just saying. <laughs> That's right. So, um, but what I use, cause I have had, you know, someone come and they'll, you know, they already know what they think they have. And they're just giving me the information based on something they read versus what their actual experience is. And I can tell the difference because it doesn't sound natural, but um, we, we base diagnoses on um, a manual that anyone could have access to, but it's called the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders. And it's currently in its fifth edition of that. And what it does, it lists all these diagnoses and uh, all these disorders and the diagnostic criteria. So it will say, you know, you have four out of seven of these possible symptoms. And in our training, we just basically memorize or learn after a while what all these criteria are for these various disorders. And so someone with social anxiety disorder, for example, I'm going to be asking them questions and and having them tell me their experience that matches up with these diagnostic criteria, one of which is um, fearing um, judgment, assuming that people are judging them, um, uh, judging them based on their appearance or the way they talk or something. And that's where the fear comes from. It's not just, I don't like being social with people. I'm not, I'm not a good talker. It's you are afraid that people are judging what you're saying and it affects how you feel about yourself. That's powerful. That's powerful. A lot, a lot of people, I believe, uh, experience some of that. And it's, I think what I'm hearing you say is the distinction is it actually keeps you from being in those situations as opposed to being those situations, feeling those feelings, but um, working through them anyway, and still showing up and still being yourself. So it's, it, I think part of it is how it impacts your life and how it keeps you from living life fully. Am I Correct. hearing that correctly? Yes, you are. Mm-hmm. So what are some of, um, I know you talked about some things that we can do ourselves to manage, if you will, <laughs> our anxiety. And you talked a little bit about medications. Can you talk a little bit more about what those options are and what it looks like now, as opposed to back in the day when it wasn't cool to have any anxiety disorders <laughs> and they really drugged you up? <laughs> right. Okay. So, um, it's, and one more thing about the diagnostic process. So it is based on talking to the person. Some people though will use um, questionnaires to help them because the questionnaires will have prompting questions and to, you could check off uh, symptoms. Medication, as far as um, choosing between medication versus a non-medication option, a non-medication option, if it's still professionally based would be getting therapy. Uh, cognitive behavior therapy is, is a great therapy to treat anxiety. You would need to see a therapist for that. Um, some of the self-help options are based on cognitive behavior therapy techniques. Medication is usually what people will choose when the symptoms are so bad that it really is causing a lot of problems for them. Maybe they're not sleeping. Maybe they're not eating whatever the case is, um, their mind may be racing all the time and they just can't feel like they settle, can settle down. 
in which case they can't even think about trying to go get therapy when they can barely even think. So they get medication to help turn down the dial. On the, on the brain thing. Is that what I've heard referred to as a chemical imbalance in the brain? So that's a whole thing now of not calling <laughs> it chemical imbalance anymore. Um, oh. As if that's just this new discovery and it's not a new discovery, but um, you know, I still think it's helpful in some ways to think of it as a chemical imbalance, just because to point out that there are changes in your brain that's causing these problems. And it's not just some made up thing that you just, you know, you just can't deal. Um, it is brain-based uh, but yeah, we don't call it chemical imbalance anymore. We call it kind of, um, it, it's, it's change in your, in your brain wiring that causes these problems, these issues. Okay. So it's how your brain is wired. It's how your brain is wired and your brain can rewire itself. So that's the concept of neuroplasticity is what that's called. So, um, if you, if you go the medication route, um, because it's just too much, you, you need to just kind of have the dial turned down or bring down your anxiety level. The main medication we use for that are antidepressants, serotonin enhancing antidepressants, Zoloft, Lexapro is a very common one. Um, Prozac, um, the benzodiazepines like clonopin, uh, Xanax, Ativan, those can be used temporarily because they work very immediately. The antidepressants take a couple of weeks, so a month to see an effect, and you usually got to start low and move up slowly. But the, the benzodiazepines work immediately, but they can be habit forming. They work in the same part of your brain as alcohol does. So it's almost like taking your alcohol pill <laughs> to calm you down. <laughs> um, got they it, work. Got it. They work great for things like panic disorder and things. Now, a, there are uh, complementary and alternative medication options, some of which are very good, some of which are eh, iffy. A very good one is uh, lavender in pill form. It's called Silexin, S-I-L-E-X, as in xylophone, A-N, as in Nancy. Um, in general, the essential oils, and I talk a lot about the essential oils in my book, cause I absolutely love them. Um, most of them are not safe for consumption. They, you either inhale them or rub them on your skin, things like that. If you use a carrier oil, but in this case, a manufacturer out of Germany formulated, um, lavender in pill form, and it's actually been studied and tested against prescription medicine. So it's been tested against Paxil and it's been tested against uh, Ativan, which is a benzodiazepine, both of those in low doses, but it still stood up against those as being similarly effective for anxiety. So I've been Is that telling, something you can get over the counter? You can get over the counter. So you can get it on you. Amazon. <laughs> and one of the, uh, but it needs to be Silexin because there are other variants of the lavender. Um, so they're kind of some knockoff versions of it. But uh, Calm Aid is one of the ones, uh, the, the companies, it's Nature's Made, but it's called Calm Aid and it's Silexin. And uh, the study, in the studies, people took either one or two for anxiety. It does have to be taken every day. It's not a pop it to make yourself feel better for uh, this afternoon and then tomorrow go on with your day. 
it is, it does take about two weeks to see some consistent reduction in your anxiety. Another over-the-counter one that's not as great for anxiety, but it's great for stress um, is ashwagandha. That's kind of showing some promise. Yeah. yeah, it's showing some promise. It's still kind of early. It still needs some more studies, but still it's, it's showing promise. And what it does is it reduces cortisol. And that can be an issue for people who wake up anxious. They may have um, uh, high cortisol levels in the morning. Your cortisol is something that fluctuates throughout the day. You, you, do, you can have a higher level in the morning, but some people have a really high level. So anyway, that is, has been shown to reduce cortisol levels. So that can indirectly improve anxiety, especially if your anxiety is from a lot of stress. Wow. This has been, yeah, I, I've been feverishly taking notes here because <laughs> I'm thinking I'm getting this. <laughs> I could keep going on for one, for one person, this for the other person, this one I think for myself. <laughs> oh my goodness. This has been absolutely fabulous. So Tell us how we can get a whole, how folks can reach you and get a hold of your book. My book is anywhere is anywhere books are sold, you know, uh, in stores, but as well as online, Amazon, bookshop.org, some of the, the book independent booksellers. Why Am I So Anxious? It's called Why Am I So Anxious? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, as far as getting, hearing more from me, my main hub is my website, which is Mark's Psychiatry, M-A-R-K-S as in Sam, and then the word psychiatry.com. And that has um, all the places I'm, I am, like YouTube. I have a YouTube channel, Instagram, and TikTok. And my handle on all of those are Dr. Tracy Marks, D-R, and then Tracy with an E-Y, Marks. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm interested in um, subscribing to your YouTube channel and really getting these nuggets from you on a regular basis because I could keep going with my questions on and on and on. But I do want to thank you for um, the work that you do, really. It's really important work and sharing that knowledge with us. I know, you know, coming a a lot of people who grew up um, in in African-American homes do have this this stigma against um, mental illness and talking about it and being open about it. And I'm really happy to see that that's changing and more and more people are embracing mental wellness as a part of our overall physical and emotional and mental health as well. Um, To our listeners, thank you so much for listening to the show, whether you're listening to us live or on demand. I'm really grateful that you are finding something for yourselves on the show, and I hope you'll find the time to join us again next week. So I want to leave you with a quote from Charles W. Chestnut. There's time enough, but none to spare. So that's when we got to think about a little bit. Mm. So until next time, everybody, bye for now. for listening to What's Important Now, making time for what matters most with Eva Medelec. We hope we've been able to inspire you with today's show to take control of your own life and focus on the win. What's important now? Until we talk again, have a beautiful week.